Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. What's up, everybody? How are we feeling today? Oh, it's a good day to be in the house of God. Let's welcome all of our locations, physical and online. Hello, everybody. We love you. And my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we're real glad you're here with us. And uh, today, friends, is Sit With Me Sunday. It's, a, it's always a great day to invite somebody to join you for church, but today we just wanted to put a cherry on top. That's why we're giving away free t-shirts. And, uh, but ultimately, what we desire and what we want is for every guest to feel Jesus and know Jesus the way that so many of us have experienced him. Amen? Yes. Well, good. Speaking of feeling Jesus, knowing Jesus, uh, we begin a fasting season starting next, excuse me, starting tomorrow, okay? On your seats at every location, we have fasting guides. If you're online, we can throw that link in there. Uh, but these are fasting guides. Take those home with you. And uh, four weeks, uh, a month, to get closer to God, there's information in here. I want you to grab that, take that with you. We'll start seeking God on another level together starting tomorrow. So eat all your stuff today. All right. Nothing else to celebrate. We lost the Super Bowl, so it's a season of mourning anyway. So I'm still there, guys. I still haven't recovered. So, um, yeah, so a uh, couple of... Uh, yeah, last week, actually, I was on, on vacation, and um, uh, if you have children, um, you know that when you go on vacation with children, it's not really vacation, it's uh, glorified babysitting. It's like, oh, wow, I'm doing more child watching than I did even when we were home. So that's what I did while I was gone. And uh, we met uh, Lawrence family. So there's all kinds of wonderful cousins and, and more children. So I ended up doing the majority of the, of the watching of the children. That was my role. And uh, so I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. <laughs> now we had a good time. We, we, we went to, we went to, to Florida and um, we... We, we kind of were in St. Augustine, but we did some fun stuff in kind of the swamp area. We, we were chasing gators. <laughs> chasing gators. And have you ever eaten alligator, by the way? Pretty good, honestly. We didn't, just in case anyone's offended by that. But, but uh, well, yeah. Well, let me ask this question before I fit, continue with that story. Uh, did anybody grow up and you just had that friend who had a pet snake? Anybody? It's like... Like, what's wrong with you? Not you, but the, the person, right? But then probably you, because you kept being their friend. Uh, well, well, I had a best friend growing up, and his brother, older brother, who bullied us all the time, uh, he had a pet snake. So every time I was over there, I was convinced he was going to, like, if we were doing, like, a sleepover or something, I was convinced he was going to put that snake on us. And, uh, and so I always was, like, freaking out, because I don't like snakes, then I didn't like him because he had a snake. Anyway, back to the story. Uh, we're, we're on this little uh, swamp tour and uh, we're looking for gators. And it, it would like, I'm kind of like, I'm enjoying it. It's relaxing. And, but like, all we're seeing is like baby gators. 
And I wanted to see 10 foot alligators ready to eat me. Like I wanted to die kind of, you know, like not die, but like I wanted to come close. Like I wanted a better story to tell you, but here's the story. (laughs) The story is, is there wasn't that many gators and we end up seeing a snake. And so the, the, the guy doing the tour was like, oh, there's a snake. <laughs> like, I'm like, cool. Like, I didn't pay for that, you know? And so he's like, comes up close and it's like, we're getting, we're getting too close to the snake. And I'm getting irritated because I'm on the front row and I'm right there. And I'm like, I didn't, I, I came here for gators, not snakes. Here we are. And like, this is a water snake, which means if he bites us or spits at us or something, we're definitely going to die. Well, we didn't die, obviously, or I'm super anointed, one of the two. But I think, honestly, I think the snake was actually dead. I think it was planted there. I think that was their turnaround point. You know what I'm saying? I don't trust these people, man. (laughs) Anyway, I I hate snakes, and I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, But today, I want to preach a message about snakes. Would you guys bring out those... uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, the revival happened in Kentucky, not here. Okay, just kidding. All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I want to preach a message titled, A Snake and a Savior. A Snake and a Savior. Don't hiss at anybody. A snake and a Savior. Uh, you know, the, um, there is significance uh, in Scripture uh, that kind of still lives beyond scripture into today in the representation of a snake. You know, the symbol of like the paramedics or uh, medical. I'd love for you guys to put that up there because uh, if you look at it, what's on there? A snake. What a dichotomy, a snake and then saving. Um, I think it's interesting because there is, there really is something significant and relevant when it comes to the phrase, a snake and a savior. So I'm going to read a really popular passage of scripture, and then we'll kind of flip over to the Old Testament and figure out what it means. But the context is Jesus uh, is with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And it's kind of late at night and, and Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to know that he's talking with Jesus because Nicodemus is this religious leader that obviously knows the Torah and he knows the Old Testament and, and basically like he, he believes in God, power of God, but like, could it be that the Messiah the Christ is with me in the flesh? He's having a real hard time believing it. However, 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 I think something inside of him is telling him this is Jesus. And so they're having this conversation. The Bible says this, verse 12, Jesus is talking, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up. You didn't see that before, did you? That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, you know, you've heard that one before, right? Of course. But in the middle of this powerful passage where Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that he must be born again, believe on the son to have eternal life for God so sent Jesus, right? He's telling this. In the middle of that is verse 14 and 15. I want to read it again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What in the world? Why is Jesus referencing Moses and a snake in the middle of maybe one of the most important passages in the New Testament? There has to be significance here. If, if we go back to Numbers 21, ultimately the Israelites have left 400 years of slavery. Now, you know this because I've taught you this, but if you're new with us, while the Israelites have left being enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years because Moses has brought them out by the power of God, they're still slaves in their heart and they're still slaves in their minds. Did you know you could be free but still be enslaved? Of course, many people are. You're free to not look at your phone, but you're addicted, right? Ah, me too. The point is, though, is, is you can say something, but something else can be true. And so what's happening here in Numbers 21, verse 4, Bible says, the Israelites traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Okay, um, I just think it's important for us to point out what the Bible says and something that God's dealing with me about and working with me on. But the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And what happens here with the Israelites is that they speak death and it's about to lead them to death. I want to say to you today, don't underestimate your words and don't forget that God is God. Uh, don't forget to have a fear and an awe of God in your words too. Because here they are growing impatient, even though, even though they're delivered, they were delivered out of slavery, yet they're, they're growing impatient. This is not the bread we want. This is not the kind of drink we want. This is not the kind of food we want. Like, like we, God, we reject you and we reject the man you put in charge. Careful. We are really good at rejecting authority in our society. Now, there's a lot of bad authority. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there's precedent here because what they did here is they rejected God's provision and they rejected God's redeemer. It wasn't what they wanted, but God gave them what they needed. And then here's what happens in verse six. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Wow, that's aggressive, God. 
that's a little much. I just want to say something because uh, this can seem like, wow, this is a little harsh. But the reality is, is they made a decision with their words and in their heart that they were going to reject the very one who delivered them. Uh, this would be like, this would be like, listen, if somebody said, I'm going to pay off your medical debt, I'm going to pay off, I'm going to pay off your student loans. Okay. And then they do it. And then you're mad in your heart now because you got to pay taxes. It's like, it's like that you're like, imagine being angry at the person who delivers you out of debt, keeping you down from growing from being what you were meant to be. You know, there's a gap always between your promised land and where you are right now. There's always a gap between your potential and where you exist right now. And sometimes we need some help along the way to boost us, to get us going towards our potential. But don't you understand that every blessing comes with a burden? It comes with, with a responsibility for you to get to your promised land, to pay the price to get there. And these people are mad that they've got a journey a little bit. And so what the Lord does is he sends venomous snakes to eliminate those who have chosen to reject. And I want to say something, guys, that, that God can redeem anybody. Do you hear me? Every location, God can redeem anybody, even you who's looking at me and watching me who thinks that God can't redeem you. He can. But God will remove what's unredeemable. And here's what's unredeemable. Those who choose to reject God, even when he presents himself. God will never force you. He will never make you say, I need you. But at some point, you will be removed. And so God sends snakes. Why snakes? Well, it's a judgment against Israel for the rejection of him. But again, snakes. Why would God allow this catastrophe? And it's a good question to ask. And I've preached a series about this before. But anytime you see catastrophe, trouble, struggle, whether it's God allowed, God induced, or something you decided that brought calamity on yourself. Whenever there is trouble, there's only one reason. It's to lead you and I towards redemption and repentance. So when you are in the midst of trouble, when, you, when stuff is going on, when you look at the state of the world, why is this happening? To lead us towards repentance and redemption. In verse seven, the people recognize that they're doomed and they say, they come to Moses and say, we sinned, we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So the people are going, oh man, we messed up. By the way, good place to be when you finally acknowledge, maybe I was wrong. It's a great thing to learn when you're married. Maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong. Come on, any spouses, amen? And so they're like, oh, we sinned. We're all gonna die. Moses, help us. And if I'm Moses, 
thank God I'm not. I'm asking for a little more than that. You rejected me, and now you want me to go pray? You want me to go rescue you? I need, I need a little bit more than that. But aren't you thankful that what Moses represents right here is exactly who Jesus is? Moses is the mediator between the people and God. And so they've got to go to Moses to get to God. And friends, that's exactly how it works today. They had to go to Moses to get to God. There was no other way. And you've got to go to Jesus to get to God. There's no other way. This is why Jesus says the son of man must be lifted up just like Moses of them say. It's because at the end of the day, he's trying to tell Nicodemus this. And I'm trying to tell you this. There is but one way, friends. There's only one media. There's only one path to God. There's only one door. It's Christ. This image right here, this moment in the Old Testament where snakes are surrounding them and biting them and killing them, there was only one way. Moses is the type of Christ. And in verse eight, this is interesting. The Lord says to Moses, watch this, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Okay, take, take that off. Take the scripture off. Is it interesting here that Moses goes to God and says, help. But he didn't answer the way the people wanted it answered. Make the snakes go away. And God's solution is to give them a snake. What? Your relationship with God, friends, listen to me, it will perplex you at times. God, please deliver me out of this. Please get me out of this. Please rescue me away from this, away from this person, away from this situation, away from this trouble, away from this slavery, away from this pressure, all this stuff. And God's response to Moses is probably the same response he gives you today. I don't often deliver you out or around. I deliver you through. Oh no, you're going to see you're going to see that there's only one way out of this and it's through it and it's with me next to you. Because what happens is when we get out of stuff, when we, when we, when we make a clean break from stuff, when, 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 when we uh, come out of things too easily, a lot of times we think we did it. And God wanted to be very clear here, your only way out and your only way in is with me. And so God doesn't make the snakes go away. No, he gives them a bronze snake. Oh, what does a bronze snake mean? Well, he doesn't take away the snake. He gives them an anti-venom. And that's what it looks like. The snake was made of bronze and bronze is a metal associated with judgment. So why not a bird? Why not a fish? Well, the bronze snake, the serpent, represents judgment. You see it in the scriptures. 
the bronze serpent represents sin, but not just sin. It represents sin judged. It represents sin judged. So think about this. Anyone who was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake lived. In other words, here you have judgment on a pole. How is it, and you could take that off, how is it that, how is it that, that, that God would choose to put judgment on a pole and that's the way the people would be saved? Well, it's obvious. This represents something. I mean, they did not have to do anything but look. Nothing. And, and so many of us are so caught up in a poor religious construct that we think we got to do everything in the world to be a good person and maybe God accepts us. But the method for redemption then and the method for redemption now is not do a bunch of things. It's just look. Think about Adam and Eve. We all have the Adam and Eve syndrome. I just, we, we do too much. Adam and Eve, God says, don't do this. This is dangerous. I got everything else for you. What do they do? They're given this apple from this serpent, right? Or this fruit. And then they eat it and they share it. We shouldn't have done this. And then what do they do? Instead of just owning it, they lie, they hide, they cover themselves, and God comes looking. I just wonder how different it would be if Adam would have just said, hey, I'm a man up real quick and I'm just going to go, hey, God, we missed it. We got hanging with this weird looking animal and, 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 and like he was gross, but we tried the fruit. God, please have mercy on us. Forgive us and not hide. But instead they chose to hide. They chose to lie. And then here we are. Every pain, every struggle, all disease, all of these challenges now exist because we lied, we, we did too much. And what God's saying to them, he's really trying to say to us, is that you gotta stop doing so much. You gotta stop trying to please everybody. You gotta stop trying to fix everything. You gotta stop trying to kneel down and say 10 Hail Marys and run around in circles and go to this confession and that confession. What God's saying is, hey, you can't do anything to make it right. You just gotta look. By looking to the judgment of sin, they were healed and saved from death. And guys, Jesus fulfilled this perfectly by being judged by God on our behalf. Jesus took our place. He was judged by God so we don't have to. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ultimately, they had to trust something foolish and unreasonable that didn't make sense. This is your whole Christian faith. I got to trust something unreasonable, foolish. It doesn't make sense. Yet here's where my healing is. Here's where my salvation is. Here's where my victory is. 
I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have faith. I gotta trust. I gotta look. I gotta, I, 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 I gotta trust something. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to look at another snake to be healed by from a snake bite. It didn't make sense that snakes are surrounding me and biting me and I am freaking out because I got my baby in my arms and my little child and I've got my spouse near me and I'm surrounded, but all I'm supposed to do is not run, but look. I bet you there are a lot of people who died that day because they ran instead of look. I would hate for you to be presented with all your sin and all your judgment on a tree, on a pole, yet you run instead of look. It doesn't make sense, I know. You know, I talk about my kids a lot for a few reasons. Mainly, I want your sympathy. Also your gifts at Christmas and God lead you to Venmo me or something. But, but um, you know, parents, you know this, trying to get kids to take medicine is, is it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And uh, before we went on our, our babysitting vacation, um, we, the night before, Maverick, my five-year-old, is, is throwing up, which that's his thing. He loves to do that, just loves to get sick. And, and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe we're getting out of this. We can just stay home and sleep, and I'll pretend I'm sick, and Lauren will watch everybody. It'll be awesome. So, but Lauren's like calling her mom. It's like, should we still come? And they're like, oh, you know, we got our family. You only live once, you know, like, come on, we'll figure it out. I'm like, oh, that's what I would have said, you know. So Maverick's thrown up and, and we get there the next day and, and he's thrown up again. And, and then, and then, but he's playing, he's having a great time. He's got his cousins. I'm doing a great job watching everybody, you know, it's like, He's having a great time. So every so often though, he'd like feel a little sick and then throw up and then eat and then go play again. I'm like, this can't go on. Like, like he's like becoming nothing. He looks pale, but he's having a great time. And so we're trying to fit, do we go to a, do we go to like a, like an urgent care and fly? Like, what do we do? And so Lauren's brother, he has this really little, little pill. And he's like, if, if, if Maverick takes this, he'll be fine. I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like, Nate, Maverick ain't taking this pill, man. I promise. I have to literally knock him out to get him to take medicine. Like, like, like he, I, he's like, he's like, I'll try it. I'll try it. And so I mean, I'm like, I'm prepping Maverick. Maverick, it's so small, bro. You can just, you don't have to taste. You can just swallow it. Like it will heal you. It will save you. It will give you supernatural strength. Like you, you'd be able to eat and never stop eating. Like, like you can play forever. I'll let you stay up another two hours tonight. Like I'm just, and, he's just, and finally Nate's like, come on, man. Just say, and so of course he listens to Nate, not dad. And then he's like, I need privacy. I was like, bro, you're five. What? No, you're never getting privacy. He's like, just trust me. So I'm thinking, I'm, but now part of me is like, well, 
he's just gonna throw this away and I'm gonna be like, God told you guys, you know. And then, but of course, Nate gives him this little thing and he eats it real quick and then he's fine. And I'm like, man, there's a spiritual parallel here. It's like, it doesn't make sense because we're trying to explain it to him. Son, it's just a, a little bit. Well, how is this going to help? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's just a smaller. He's like, well, how, how is that going to fix things? And I'm pleading with him and I'm, I'm begging him. And, and honestly, as a preacher, I do the same thing. I, I'm pleading with you and, and I'm begging you like, like, just look. I know it's foolishness. I know it doesn't make sense. And I know you'll be rejected and there are things you're going to have to reject. And I know that it doesn't make sense. But friends, we've all been bitten and there's only one cure. There's only one cure. Isaiah says, look at me and be saved. All ye, you ends of the earth, for I am God and this, there is no other. Galatians 3 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, when Moses put the snake on a pole, here's what it looked like. It looked like a cross. When Moses put the snake on a pole, here's what it looked like. It looked like a cross. In other words, Jesus was sin judged. He is the anti-venom. Everything you've done in your life, every wrong Every lie, every time you broke the Ten Commandments, which by the way, if you broke one, you broke them all. Every time you missed it, every time you had a bad thought, you can't be perfect. You belonged on the pole. But instead, even though you were bitten by the snake, by one man's sin, by Adam's sin, Jesus came to be the second Adam. He came to take all sin, all God's judgment. He came to put everything on him and he hangs there. And all you got to do is look. All you got to do is believe. And the world will tell you run. The world will tell you go. The world will tell you that's fake. The world will tell you that's false. The world will tell you those are just emotions. The world, all these different things, but you were made and designed. You were born to look, to stand at all. The son of man must be lifted up. Will you look up? And will you lift him up? It's like close. I want to close with this thought. All of us have been bitten, but only some of us have looked. Do you remember when your innocence was stolen? When it was lost? Do, do you remember when you started to miss it, when you started to live a lifestyle? of sin? Do you remember when your thought patterns turned negative? Do you remember when the depression was so heavy that you considered or you tried suicide? Do you remember these things? I remember, I remember 
being four years old and I remember getting in a fight on the playground and I've been fighting ever since. But I also remember being nine years old and my cousin trying to show me a dirty magazine. I remember it. Now I'm grateful and I'm thankful because in middle school we met Jesus. In high school, I really got on fire for God and got and experienced his spirit and God not only redeemed me and restored me, but God allowed me to be spared from so many things. But the point I'm making is, is all of us have been bitten. All of us. No one is exempt from the curse of sin. Nobody. But not everybody has looked up and been redeemed. You've tried to do it your own way and you've seen people die and you've had so much pain and heartbreak and heartache. And sometimes there's been days where you've come to the foot of the cross, but then you've got up and you've run away instead of picking up the cross and following. Whatever your situation is, all of us have been bitten. The question is, are you gazing? Are you looking? Are you trusting? And if my message has not convinced you as I close, I want to tell you one great story. Story of my friend who was bitten. It was almost dead. But in the last ditch effort, looked at the cross and it changed everything. Take it away. When I was 18 years old, after I dropped out of high school, I had uh, suffered a sudden cardiac arrest and my heart had stopped for about eight minutes. Drugs and alcohol kind of became part of my story early. You know, and I remember being able to use my cardiac arrest afterwards, like to my advantage with my addiction. Like, you know, you don't understand me. You don't feel the same way I do. I had this case of like terminal uniqueness going on. And for a while I believed it, but it was a lie convoluted on my own just to try to get what I wanted to get. Cause that's how I was. I was manipulative. I was selfish. I was self-seeking. You know, during my addiction, I felt like I just, I just existed just to keep this addiction alive. In the beginning of it, it was fun. I was able to manage it somewhat until the point where I couldn't manage it. You know, and I was just, I was nothing. I was not nothing, but I was just a body that knew how to move to feed its addiction. I felt like just a, a shell of a human. Got to the point where I just, I didn't even want to be physically alive anymore, but I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to exist like this anymore. So I started coming to the Block Church with my wife in about a month after we got married. That was May of 2022. And I felt like I was just, I was dragged there, if I'm being honest. You know, I'd be making a comment about everybody in my head during service, just completely in this, this negative, miserable mindset. When I was driving and I had just used maybe an hour prior I was on Route 1 and I just, I said a prayer and I said, God, please help me, don't hurt me. And about five minutes later, I started to get really dizzy, but the paramedics showed up and they, they brought me into the back of an ambulance. And when those doors closed, it was like, I flashed back to that prayer for a second. It felt like my prayer was answered. I got out of the hospital at 3 p.m. and I had a plane ready for me to go to California at 6 p.m. out of Philly. Besides California, I had no idea where else I was going. And I remember being in the group room, still 
going through the process of detoxing. You know, I'm holding this journal from the block church. You know, that was one of the things, one of the places that, one of the blocks basically that I needed to set myself up with. So, you know, I'm not listening to myself now. I'm listening to what I didn't know at the time, but that was God telling me, you know, you gotta go to church. The church asks you, whoever needs a prayer is ready to give their life over. Um, you know, and I remember fighting this feeling and then it just kind of broke me and I raised my hand and I started crying. I started crying pretty, like, pretty heavily. I remember having a conversation with Pastor Matt about, um, say, can you get me signed up for baptism? But seeing the people around me, you know, who saw me struggling in my addiction and saw me there supporting me, you know, and seeing the look on their faces too, that not only am I doing this for myself, but the effects are actually having a positive effect on the people around me, because I'm only used to hurting the people around me, you know, including myself. So seeing their faces, seeing my wife crying, you know, for a good reason, not a reason I caused that as a bad reason, but a good reason was almost, it was just like a change for me and everything was just so pure about it. Life's great because I don't have to go and wake up sick anymore. I don't have to wake up with cold sweats looking for five, $10. Like, you know, I don't have to come home and have my wife second guess me over everything or cry, you know, because of something I'm doing. What I want and what I want to create for myself and what I can let, you know, just let God create for myself are two totally different things. And his version is usually a heck of a lot better than my version. I'm Steven, and this is my block, his story. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories, and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.